I'm hoping we can have a conversation about gritty. Uh, <laughs> I want. I'm. I love gritty. <laughs> yeah. I know nothing, so y'all like y'all can have that, but I'll be like, what? I'm a born again sports liker, and uh, gritty touches on some aspects of sports iconography that I really, uh, really, really love. Uh, which is that it's entirely insane, and I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, the gritty fucks. That's I, I look in his eyes, and I'm like, I know what you do. Yeah, as an ex Canadian, I hate uh, hockey, but I love gritty. He's <laughs> he's reignited my love of hockey. Wait, so tell me, like, okay, I know he's like a mascot. What is he the mascot for? The Philadelphia uh, Flyers. Philadelphia Flyers. Oh, okay, and that's a hockey. I'm sorry, I am so not. It's, in- it's important to know um, if you could, and we'll probably if if this is just the beginning of gritty talk, we'll probably edit this in maybe as a cold open. But I don't want to um, sound like a total moron and like so and people if, listen to it. So you if know, you, if you Google uh, the Philly fanatic, you'll see who simply must be a distant relative of Gritty in that they're the same color, and I also don't know what the fanatic is. Um, Okay. Philadelphia, for some reason, decided that the ideal uh, iconography for their sports teams should be insane green monsters. Okay. No one knows why. Their basketball team, the Sixers, has a, uh, a blue dog... And their football team, the Eagles, has an eagle. Everything else, weird green monsters. Okay. Something happened. They poisoned their brains with mercury and other heavy metals, probably, uh, just like we did here, and had the genius idea of uh, green green sex demons should become their sports mascots. And they should parade around and harass people. Um, like, a well-known thing about the fanatic is that for years he would... Uh, jeer and mock his own team members as part of his own fun, including making fun of sensitive parts of them. Like he wants a pantomimed running pigeon toad uh, to make fun of one of the Philly players who uh, did walk pigeon toad, which made him so angry that he then flying tackled the Philly fanatic in the middle of a baseball game. (laughs) Oh, see this, this is good content. This is good content. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, sports it's mascots are the best part of sports. <laughs> so, oh, well, that's good to know. Like, I'll just watch the mascots. I don't know anything. Uh, what the mascots to really watch are the, uh, are the presidents for the Washington Nationals, um, in which uh, Teddy Roosevelt is the only good boy. And all of they, con- they have a race uh, and during the seventh inning stretch. And all of them cheat except Teddy Roosevelt. Are so, like, you... Ep- is this real? This is real. This sounds F- like you're making it up as you F- go on. FDR, they put a giant mascot FDR inside of a wheelchair, and sometimes he'll, like, reel, reel himself really slowly, and everyone will run behind him because they exchange looks like, I don't want to be rude to the guy in the wheelchair. And then he'll just jump up and sprint to the finish line. Oh, that's uh, messed up. There's sometimes so much wrong with that. Sometimes Thomas Jefferson will straight up like pull a baseball bat out and just trip the other ones, which makes sense because he's a dick. Yeah, um, yeah he was the first. Yeah, he's the biggest jerk. No one likes Thomas Jefferson, even in the running nationals. Uh, yeah, so it's a big drama of like, will Teddy be able to overcome their horrible chicanery and win? 
But, uh, yeah, the, even the rollout of Gritty seemed to be vaporwave aware, is how I would describe it. Okay. It, it was very online for a, a sports mascot rollout. He's, they, yeah. They, they knew the target audience for Gritty would be, like, brain-damaged internet fiends. Yeah, and Reddit kids, yeah. For whatever reason, people have decided that the Nintendo character, Waluigi, is to be loved and pitied, not hated and scorned, even though if you look at him, he definitely should be hated and scorned. Gritty is everything people think Waluigi is, but he actually is those things. I look at him and I go, I love you, Gritty. I love and I respect you. And he probably would put my hand in his mouth uh, <laughs> as some kind of weird sex thing. And I would go, this is fine, actually. I'm actually fine with this. I wouldn't thought, wouldn't have thought prior to this that I'd be fine with it, but I'm in the moment and I'm fine with it. sentence for this week. Uh, I'm Gareth uh, Langdon's here too and we've got a returning guest uh, Christine Kelly of Tridroid Records out of Louisiana uh, deep in the bayou Am I doing that right? Is that, is that good or racist? You did it better the first time. Man. Yeah, I know I, 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 had, <laughs> I was more recently had seen the early 90s X-Men cartoon I could better oh. um, take yeah. Gambit's voice also, um, since we mentioned him before... Uh, Did you know that everyone in Louisiana dresses like Gambit, too? Like, that's actually part of like the skating With, like, that weird head sock. Yeah. Oh, my God. Body armor. There's literally so many... I've got to dispel so much, right? There's just, like, everything you say about Louisiana is just going to be wrong, and I'm going to be like, ugh. They ride haters instead of cars to work, and they're all dressed like Gambit. They don't talk yeah. like Gambit, though. There's actually a lot of vocal diversity, but they all dress like Gambit. Trench coats, as far as the eye can see. Yeah. Poles, it's too hot for that down cards. here. Are you crazy? Look, yeah. you're on your gator. He'll cool you down with his cold, cold blood. <laughs> so, Y'all. yeah, we're going to be talking about a book called Crudo uh, by Olivia Lang. Uh, and I think we've... From what I can tell, we've got kind of diverse opinions on it, um, stretching the gamut from liking it to not liking it. That's in both opinions, baby. Yeah, yeah that's literally the, the two ways you can think about things. <laughs> and um, I guess there's indifference, but that's a kind of that I always find indifference is a form of not liking something. Indifference there's is also... the coward's not liking something. What about ambivalence? That's another one. Isn't that just indifference? Uh, no, isn't it? it's the no. opposite of the difference. It, it means you're interested, but you you are too cowardly to actually say how you feel about it. That's not true either. Okay, ambivalence <laughs> is when you both strongly like and strongly dislike something. 
Like, you're pulled very strongly in both directions. I will put a gun against the head of the ambivalent, and I will ask them to pick a side, and they will. (laughs) Yeah. They'll also send me to jail, because what I've done is wrong. (laughs) Yeah, don't do that, please. I don't have the option of putting guns to people's heads, because I live in a a real country. That's true. I have to do knife crimes if I need to force people to do things. (laughs) But, um... You have to assault people with a sword. Which, yeah. frankly, Cavalry is pretty saber. badass. <laughs> is that legal? Can you carry around a sword over there? No. It's Britain. Of course you can carry around no, a sword. No, you cannot. <laughs> you can't even carry around, like, a, a little knife and stuff. It, it, they've gone very they've gone very hard on knife crime. Um, <laughs> and you can't carry around swords. That's... I can't yeah. believe that England won't let you carry around swords. That's bullshit. There are no swords here. You could you could carry around a war I watch hammer. Braveheart. There's plenty of swords. Well, that's Scotland. Different. You, yeah, but you, British English people go up there in it. And they got they, swords. You could carry around a war hammer. I've managed to find out that I can circumvent what? the. That's um, pretty tight. Yeah, Not you could just carry it around everywhere. Like the, the big bejeweled war hammer with some studs on it. You could carry Is it around because that. you've done that, or? How have you figured this out? Well, it's just it, that that's the gap in the law. You can you the the laws all talk about blades. Like you have to have a certain inches of blade to be classes of different weapon. So oh, nothing blade about, on a hammer, baby. Nothing about like ham- hitting people weapons. Oh, okay. So no bl- no problem time. with bludgeoning people, which is why yeah. the cops can carry around those you know hitting things. What are they called? Batons. Truncheons. Truncheons. Tru- yeah, they call them truncheons over here. Okay. But, um, <laughs> we pretend that you call them billy clubs. <laughs> no one calls them. That's a, that's an American thing. No, no, literally, no one calls them billy clubs here. We pretend that you do, though, and it's okay, very fun. Fine. One Either of America's I. favorite pastimes is lying about Britain. Yeah, like yeah, thinking we're all into Benny Hill. I, I know <laughs> no one who has ever seen Benny Hill. Also, that was like think that six you're all... episodes on a. <laughs> minor channel like 50 years ago and no one knows about it no one cares about it that's everything america knows about britain is we think that you're all obsessed with doctor who like not that you're aware of it but that you constantly reference it and you look at phone booths and you go that's where he lives yeah that's his house i've never seen one of those police phone booths again that's a thing that (laughs) used to exist doesn't anymore no, you have them, because that's where the doctor lives. He's not hiding in plain sight if you don't have them anymore. Uh, I'll thank you to refer to the doctor as a she from now on. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Owned. Um, crudo, though. Uh, <laughs> I kind of want to hear why you did not it. I think we should start with the, with the negative opinion and move okay. on to the positive. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so I can refute every single thing you say, mostly. Okay. Um, so let's let's say what it's about first. That seems a logical step. Uh, Crudo is about. It's written by Olivia Lang. She's mostly a uh, non-fiction writer. This is her first novel. Uh, allegedly, according to her tweets, she wants to do four of these books set with the same character. Um, one coming out every decade for the next four decades. That's She'll probably. A- She'll that's probably not do that. Yeah, that, that's that's going to go down with like Sufjan Stevens doing an album for every state. It, that's Thank a plan. God that didn't happen. Yeah, because eventually <laughs> you're on like 
North Dakota and you're like, okay. And you're still Sufin Stevens, so you're crap anyway, so. And, um, yeah. Hot takes some good records. That's my full yeah. thoughts on Sufjan Stevens. <laughs> That's some Sufjan tea right there. I bet he loves tea. You um, know, for the longest time, I thought his name was Surfjan because I just had this R in my head. Until very that... recently, I realized that his name is not that. And I've been saying Surfjan for like, I don't know, 15 you should, years. You should That's team amazing. up with those speech goth indie players and change his name to Surfjan. <laughs> Nice. I think it'd be great. I was always confused by his music because it sounded like there's, a surf yacht. There's no surf guitar in this at all. I don't understand. And your friend playing it for you is like, what are you talking about? And you're like, did I stutter? There's no surf guitar in this. No, it's legit. I've been thinking this for 15 years. And my wife just corrected last month. And I was like, oh, my God, my entire life I've been saying this wrong and everyone's been laughing at me and no one told me you had to angrily <laughs> call up friends being like you let me embarrass myself for over a decade yeah. did, did you like first hear him in that like weird period in like the early two, like the end of the 20 zeros when yeah, all indie yeah, bands were like really into surfing and the beach maybe well, there was like no, two years where they got super into like the beach Oh, but, uh, oh, maybe it was then. Maybe that, yeah, could have cross-contaminated from like waves and the uh, best coast and all that my, stuff. Uh, my friend who was really into uh, the Strokes was like, "You should listen to this." And I was like, "Aren't you the friend of mine who loves the Strokes?" And he's like, "Yeah, <laughs> guy's name is Sufjan Stevens." And I was like, "It's gonna fucking suck, I bet." And then he played it, and I, it primed my brain to hate it, which I later found out was unfair, but at the time was totally warranted because. The Strokes are the worst rock band in the world. Whoa, a lot of like hot takes on here. Jeez. Yeah, we love hot. I've got to get to are... mine Woo. about like the subject of the show. Uh, <laughs> so, Crudo is about Crudo's about a lady named Kathy Acker who is not who <laughs> is either is or is not the novelist Kathy Acker. Well, she's uh, alive after Kathy Acker died, so she yeah, can't be Yeah, and she's also younger than Kathy Acker is, because Kathy Acker died when she was 50, and but Kathy Acker is 40. Um, yeah, and uh, she is a novelist. She's getting married to a man who's a little older than her. Uh, she's in Italy eating lovely food. Uh, the tip- A typical passage in this book goes like... Eating sugar? No, Kathy. Oh. <laughs> oh, episode title. <laughs> Telling lies. <laughs> yeah, so she eats a lot of very nice food in uh, lovely places in Italy, and she goes to New York and London. And then um, the book ends, and I look up, and I see what's become of my life. Um, because I've read 90 pages of this. I would describe uh, it as, on, you know, on we, what if rich people had that? Hmm. Yeah, it, are, it's, it's... Y'all read a different book. Like, I feel like we no. read a different... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so my, here's my problem with, with Crudo. Uh, is kind or, of as just Gareth like, calls it, Crudo. Whoa! That oh. also episode title. <laughs> um... 
episode's gonna have multiple titles. This is gonna have multiple this, album this arts. Is, so. This is an author yeah. we're talking about. Golly. Okay. <laughs> I, I think her, her nonfiction is probably good. Um maybe, that, I don't know. That, that, that is like the most That is like the worst compliment I've ever heard. <laughs> I think it's probably good. Someone I know who I respect on these things said it was good and they were disappointed by crudo so i'm going with that but okay. um okay was it a guy or a girl, girl. oh yeah i'm so... just curious because it seems to be breaking down along gender lines at the moment but we'll see okay but um yeah it, so here's my problem with crudo um this is one of the most aggressively middle class books i've ever had the misfortune to read and i've read ian McEwen. It's not a really harsh thing for all our book readers out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's um, yeah. So the big draw of Crudo to a lot of people is that Kathy, book Kathyaka, um, while she's eating nice food and being vaguely ennuyish about her um, wedding, it's also set in 2017, and Olivia Lang wrote this over the course of like seven weeks and she um was very very influenced by the events of 2017 so there's a lot in here about brexit and ed Miliband, and there's a lot about donald trump and north korea and will we will the south of france get nuked by north korea this tiny little hermit kingdom that has no nuclear weapons that actually work and could probably not hit their own sea you know, shit that people shit that people worry about in twenty seventeen. And it's it's very like hashtag resistance Twitter, I'm with her, dressing up as a handmade kind of politics. It's Wow, that is it's super, brutal. It's that super neoliberal. Brutal. I don't it, it's, disagree, no, it, but I I would not have said it that much. <laughs> It's it, not wrong, though. No, I mean, <laughs> this is incredibly neoliberal. This is... I... Well, maybe... But, I mean... So, okay. So now we've got the... I hated it. Langdon. What's the... What's the... I sort of fuck with it. It's all right. Okay, you... so... I'm... Uh, this isn't going to sound much better now that I'm thinking <laughs> about it. Um, uh, on a purely prose craft level... Um, so that's the opening to my thoughts. So you can you can gird them off of based on that. Um, I I did like how she seemed at least prosaically to draw from Kathy Acker's work. Apparently, it is literally based on Kathy Acker. That was a well, yeah, it's like a um, bunch of quotes. She's got a little um, bit in the back where she attributes every quote she took from Kathy Acker. And oh, like some, I, some of the some of the really good. I read that stuff. I did not read that this time. Yeah, some of the really um, some of the stuff that actually affected me, um, it turned out just to be Kathyaka. <laughs> well, so yeah, we should probably yeah. read some Kathyaka then. She okay, well, right? Yeah, I, I should read Kathyaka. She's I, incredible. I, um, yeah, I, I, she's like a major blind spot for me. But uh, so, it, I, um, yeah. I liked I liked the prose of it, and I liked the way that especially. Um, I know people who tend to read books more for plot and for action tend not to like this, but I liked how much the protagonist chewed over her thoughts. It felt very much like the parts of, say, Virginia Woolf that I liked a lot, where it felt 
or um like the revolutionary autobiographies that women were writing in the early 20th century where it feels very much like an actual person's thoughts cataloging and chewing over and fixating on the mundane and uh things like that so it felt very well composed um on a technical level i thought it was a really satisfying um really satisfying work and especially for someone who'd only written nonfiction before for this to be a fiction debut i thought was um promising i just i felt kind of similar to you that while i while I sympathized with what felt like uh, portraying the uh, interior contortions of what to the outside just feels like rich people be rich people, I hate all of them, um, by br- breaking down a couple other lines, like breaking down gender lines, sexuality, things like that, it did at some point feel so distant from... Because, like, I'm a working class... Uh, Southern American Southern guy. Like at some point, it felt so distant that I wasn't sure I needed ninety pages of it, of it going, of it at least feeling like it wasn't going anywhere else. I was like, this would work really well as a really potent short story, but I'm not sure I need this much of it. Mm. Also, it was mystifying to me when she said that her main character is in her forties from America and did not recognize the name Peyton Manning at all. That, to me, I was like, a British person wrote this. There is no <laughs> one in America who doesn't at least recognize the name Peyton Manning. Yeah, I recognize that name. <laughs> but, um... that, that, for some reason, stuck in my brain. <laughs> That's... So I'm from East Tennessee, so, like, I'm not sure how other people, how many <laughs> other people know who that is. Like, I'm literally from Knoxville, so... <laughs> <laughs> So I was not sure, you know, how how widespread the Peyton phenomenon was. But also, you know how I don't follow sports. We discussed yeah. that. But you uh, know the name. I'm from Knoxville. Anyway, I mean, there are, like, <laughs> like, there are businesses, like, that he has there. That Things are named after him there. Like, there's no escaping <laughs> it. Yeah, it's really weird, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Peyton Manning. He's good at throwing um, that ball. Or was okay. good. He quit. <laughs> He was too so, good. He had to stop. <laughs> okay, so now it's my turn to talk about Crudo, which I'm pretty stoked on. So um, I actually really enjoyed it. And um, the the thing is, though, is that I didn't have to even get through the whole thing to enjoy it. Like, I could have stopped, like, you know, a few pages in, returned to it later, read some more, and, like, kept going through it that way because it's – um kind of there are a lot of bits in it that I found myself kind of digesting but then I was also on a uh on a timeline because I had not really read it before like let's see several hours ago (laughs) (laughs) so I had to just kind of like go um but there was a lot of it that I wish that I that I had like a print copy of it because I would have like underlined or highlighted which is what I do with all my Kathy Acker books and I've never felt such a compulsion to do that with other books but my like my copy of Pussy King of the Pirates by Kathy Acker the whole thing is like just inked to hell and I found myself like taking screenshots like taking little bits of it and digesting it in a way similar to Kathy Acker's work that I'm not really used to with other authors. 
Um, and so for that reason, I felt like she was really inhabiting that space in an, in a, in an interesting way, you know, because she was writing about herself, but Kathy Acker. And sometimes that line was completely blurred, which I think for you guys, it was a turnoff, but for me, not knowing where that line was and with the Peyton Manning comment being like, well, she's, you know, clearly this is a British author. I found those things kind of fascinating because she used a lot of like British words that Americans don't even use. So obviously she is writing as Kathy Acker, but not really Kathy Acker. And it's not really a, it's not a, you know, it's not a clear line at any point. And I kind of enjoyed that about the work that it was, it was a little blurred. Um, and I found it that it was a really fascinating choice for her to write in the voice of someone else and actually write in that voice in, in um, a very true way. Um, and I also really, I, what I also liked was that the mundane was interspersed with like the crazy shit that's happening all the time. Cause I feel like that's also, you know, how I have felt in a lot of ways. Like I'm not in Italy eating pork or whatever, or porchetta. Um, but at the same time, like you try to go through your daily life, which can or may not be mundane. Um, but then you just have all of these like bits hitting you and either sticking or flying off you like at all times. And the writing of it, I very much related to that aspect where it was like she's talking about this mundane shit. And then for a paragraph, it's like, and oh, man, all this other crazy shit is happening. And I just feel like that's kind of how my brain has worked these past couple of years. Um, and I found it I mean, I found it relatable, which is strange because I'm not someone who, first of all, would marry a dude. Look at that right <laughs> up there. Um, and second of all, someone who just hasn't panned out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, no way. Um, but also, I'm not someone who would be like relaxing in the south of France or like traveling all over or having multiple houses. Like, there's a ton of stuff that I couldn't relate to at all as a person and that I found, you know, like, ugh, rich white lady bullshit. But at the same time, it seemed like she also kind of recognized that about herself and wasn't really glorifying. It was just kind of being like, eh. Um, but maybe that's also my read into it as how I want it to be rather than how it is. Um, but yeah, those two things kind of intersper like the, the mundanity and the crazy shit happening. But yeah, even though I couldn't relate to a lot of like the rich white lady bullshit. So that is my take. I think it partly negatively affected it for me that I've I've read books like this before that attempt to do the whole because it's it's really not a bad idea on paper of interspersing uh, or trying to cut through like the fixation on the insane things that happen through the day are through, like, insane political times with the fact that, for the most part, we are living our lives and we'll sometimes pick our heads up and go, oh, Jesus Christ, it's that again. Um, uh, but, um, it, so on, again, sort of fixating on, like, a literary nerd end, I, I didn't feel like it necessarily added much to that tradition, aside from now it's that, but in... 2017, um, which we talked about before when we were, um, or me and Gareth had talked about before when we were talking about 
uh, that book by that one guy that neither one of us liked. Uh, Which one? There's been many. That's true. <laughs> the one that was like this, but to be fair, worse than this. Um, we also okay. talked about the drill book that week. Oh, Gary Steingart, yeah. Yeah, that Gary Steingart book was... Yeah, that had... Um, yeah, it, it was it was pretty different. I, I didn't really feel there was much be- like between them. Uh, the, um, them. The, I, I, the vibe of like, let's look at the modern day, but also spurs oh, yeah, it through it. Yeah. That, that was the thing that um this one didn't have any creepy, racist, misogynistic fetishization. That was good. Like Positive that. comparing Always the two. Always a plus. Yeah, that was... Uh, <laughs> in fact, I would dare say there wasn't any racism at all in this book, aside from the, you know, the vibe of, of the times. I didn't feel like she was injecting bonus racism into the book. <laughs> also, always a plus. Love it when there's no extra bigotry, just, you know, you just bite in. And it's like you bit into a, a candy that had, uh, like, a chocolate truffle, but it had, like, um, durian it in was- it or or avocado, and you're like, what? <laughs> There's a whole bay leaf inside of it. <laughs> you're like, this is inedible. Um, but uh, I think she struggled on the same end that um, that we were commenting that the drill book, uh, the wholly unnecessary drill book uh, <laughs> succeeds in, which is that I'm not sure this format really captures the nihilistic absurdity of the present day. I mean, I think if anything, that's one of the benefits of web humor in a certain way compared to this kind of literary chewing is that the very bleak, like pitch black nihilistic underpinning behind dumb meme jokes and insane word salad Twitter jokes is the sense of it's exactly what the Dadaists were going through with World War One. It's exactly what um, to go back to Kathy Acker. What Kathy Acker is going through through the through the seventies and eighties of an environment that feels so like you feel so powerless and things seem so impossibly bleak that your brain twists at a certain point. And you start to outsiders spouting gibberish, but it's more like, um, uh, like idioglossia, like your, like schizotypal speech patterns, like you just, and there, there'd be moments of that in Crudo where it would turn into like a machine gun stutter of her language. And I was like, oh, she's finally gonna, and then it would just sort of go back. Which, again, on, like, the the part of me that's gone to way too many fiction workshops goes, like, oh, well, that actually thematically fits the frustration of a reader of she doesn't even have that kind of cathartic break. Um, fits, actually, you know, the issue that we feel in modern times. If we don't, like, we're all looking at Trump going, like, I wish you would just, like, fire Mueller and start a Saturday Night Massacre all over again or something so that way we could just get this over with instead of, perennial untenable tension and then you turn the news and you find out he did like he opened racist concentration camps again or you know just insane shit like that but nothing seems to go anywhere and so Mm. i was like ah like i get it but also like i do want that i do want it to go somewhere though and as it's yeah so i was reading this probably like the other everyone else uh this week with the whole Kavanaugh thing going on, which has been 
a new low and high point of this horrible, horrible farce we're all stuck in. And I was kind of thinking about that while reading Crudo. And it's kind of, kind of these are all half-formed thoughts, so this is going to be my own <coughs> idioglossic word salad. I was thinking about how what's happening right now to us, as in the three people on this recording and the audience and the Kafiaka character in Crudo, is that we're under this like psychological attack all the time. Like, it's like a very deliberate, I don't want to use the word triggering because that's got like terrible connotations and it comes from terrible people. But the people who use terms like triggering are the sort of people who are the architects of this attack we're all under. Where, you know, there's about to be like hundreds of middle-aged white guys who, with law experience who could be on the Supreme Court, but they have to pick the one guy who's probably a rapist, definitely a rapist. He's turns up drunk at a hearing. His friend makes these weird YouTube videos where girls lie down in bikinis and they've got like words all over them. And they're like, yeah, it's the whole thing's just like this bizarre, constant psychological warfare on us because, you know, right-wing chuds got so angry that they had eight years of a black president that they've got to spend the next eight years just harming us every single day. And uh, Book Kafiaka is um, kind of under that same attack as everyone else. She's constantly being, quote-unquote, triggered by the news or what's on Twitter. And the problem that she's got, which I don't know if this is intentional by Olivia Lang or not, but the problem is she, she doesn't see it as a sustained psychological attack by a named and nameable enemy. She sees this as a constant barrage of disparate events that have no structure to them, have no animus behind them. And she's got no, because she has no politics and she has no beliefs apart from like people should be nicer to each other than they are currently being she has got to feel powerless because she's she can't do anything she can't join the dsa or something and actually like make a tiny little bit of difference and fight back in a tiny little way she can just be a victim of this because she has no theory of it so what what I find interesting here is that so you're able to say something like, you know, this is a sustained psychological attack by this group of people. But the thing is, for women and marginalized folks, life is like a sustained psychological attack by an unnamed like by an unnamed group of people from like day one. It becoming worse or it getting better is sometimes we can we can feel it. But for the most part, that's life. So when mm. things get really bad, and I mean, the sense of the book that I got was just this sense of like unnameable anxiety, which I can very much relate to. Um, but I did want to point out that like, you know, you can like some people can see this as like a temporary thing. But even, you know, in other years where things are quote unquote better, 
like life is basically just a sustained psychological attack against women. Mm. So yeah, um, I think may- maybe you're right about the... that in there. <laughs> oh no, I think <laughs> maybe you are right about this being a gender split. It and, might be because um... I read a, a review in the Guardian that was written by a lady that very much was, you know, talking about how I felt about the book too. Um, <clears throat> but you know, I don't want to say that something goes along a gender divide, but I do think that sometimes life experience and that being expressed in literature can sometimes be a lot more relatable to certain people. Yeah. And it, it does at least create even just a temporary, um, a temporary gap that it can be explained and maneuvered, but maybe the initial impulse is harder for one group than for another. Um, like I ran into a similar thing with uh, uh, a dear friend of mine who absolutely loved Jane Eyre. And as someone who also studied literature, I had been forced to read it a, like a bajillion times and did not like it whatsoever. And they explained it to me as um, being so intensely relatable to them as a woman that, <laughs> that I perhaps was short shrifting that, I didn't have the experiences that made it connect so heavily. And then they stepped me through it and I was like, Oh, okay. I see it now. Um, Yeah. But um, well, and it's interesting too, because there's so much of the book that I of course couldn't relate to as like, you know, never been married to a man have never had a lot of money or been surrounded by, you know, nice things generally. Um, But I still related to it on this very emotional level. Um, so yeah, it must be something there. <laughs> I think it ties a little bit to the fact that we sometimes, um, uh, we sometimes delude ourselves into thinking that politics itself can be flattened into an easily approachable, um, plane from all angles and that everyone can understand each other because we're speaking about general, uh, political theories and political models that we can just apply to life. But we sometimes ignore this, the perspectivist issue that, if you have a psyche whatsoever, you can't discuss engagement with the world without that being part of it. Um, and so where Gareth and I can look at this from a, um, like a political lens being like, oh, she's subtracted out all these other elements you bring to light to us that, well, actually the experience of the constant psychological chaos of, of life can be tapped into by everyone, but this particular mode is felt by women in marginalized groups every day to the point where it's Trump is just one of those motherfuckers as president now, rather than it has started. Um, Right. It's always been happening. It's just worse now. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) And, and that I think um, can touch on some of the translation issues uh, that we were having of, looking at it from the lens of like, well, if I start intersecting politics with it, I, it feels a bit limpid. And then you're going like, well, actually, if you intersect even more with it, it's not limpid. And it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Got out that is a good word. Way to uh, use limpid twice. <laughs> I spent so much money on this degree, I'm going to get everything I can <laughs> yeah. out of it. Yeah, <laughs> use it. <laughs> I'm poor now, and that will never change. So I have to make the most of this. Genius, yes, exactly. Okay, so yeah, where can we go from here? If the if the book is, you know, guys yeah. may not get it that that well. Do we? Yeah, do I just start... have to like go over again and like 
just try and look for this stuff? And here's, here's how I would pitch it. So if the main project, or at least if I'm understanding, um, if I'm understanding the points we've discussed properly, and feel free to stop me if I'm sounding like a dumbass. Um, if we imagine it as similar to the project of extreme music in general, where part of the project is not to solve issues of the world, but to express them, to finally put a name and put an expression to something that felt inexpressible before, in a way that to outsiders feels like you're just being hyperbolically negative and toxic, when to you and to people who get it, it's like, no, it is cathartic to go, oh shit, someone else is seeing it, I'm not alone, I'm not making this shit up. This crudo sort of feels like that, yeah, like, you, that was a really great explanation. Way to go. Hell yeah. <laughs> liking the book more now. <laughs> like, keep going. I might like, really like this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, ju- just that notion of the fact that it's an unsatisfactory mind screw of constant anxiety with no direction, no name, and no solution is the point. Yeah, and that's what, that's kind of what I gleaned from the whole thing, really, was, I mean, as I was reading it, I felt kind of scrunched up inside. Um, but that's also a very familiar feeling, which is really fucked up now that I think about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's really just the constant barrage of like, oh, shit, that, oh, no, this, you know, that I very much... It, it was cathartic to me because someone kind of put it into paper a little bit how I was feeling, and I just don't see that very often. It, it reminds me a lot of how, so one of my least favorite things in the world is anytime anyone describes art as wholesome, that immediately makes me feel like I'm going insane and that I'm surrounded by brain children. And two, uh, artificial, like, happy endings, because as people phrase them, like, well, I just, I need a happy ending. And it's, the feeling that I get there feels, from all my years of, like, going to therapy, it's like, that is literally the art equivalent of brushing it, brushing it under the rug. Like, I can't wrap my head around anyone feeling like this is something that as a fully grown adult you should be doing and craving as, to the degree that something being negative or not giving an answer or going, sometimes shit's fucking horrible and we don't know what to do about it yet, like, breaks your mind. Like, I don't know how someone can operate in a day-to-day environment and not be able to have that thought ever. Um, and so art that it evokes that sense of, like, no, there is uh, the whole Buddhist truism of, like, life is suffering. Um, and sometimes you can say that with a laugh, and sometimes you can't. Um, that that part of it was... Uh, that part, at least, of Crudo was appealing to me. And just, again, I was like, I get your point. I don't... Do we... And I'd flip and I'd be like, it's 30 pages left. I'm just like... well that's the the thing about the book though is like you don't even have to finish it to to get it because you know (laughs) i was i was reading through and then i skipped to the end um and read the end and i was like well that didn't there wasn't much going on there because i wanted to make sure that you know if i hadn't finished the book at least i'd have read the end because then you know yeah if something happened we'd be able to discuss it (laughs) uh but i did end up reading through the whole thing but at the same time like, it's not really, it's something to, like, 
it's a book that I would chew on a little bit. It's not really a book that, you know, the ending is at all satisfying. Um, and I feel like that is kind of part of it is that, I mean, nothing happened, nothing ha like there's, it doesn't follow the, the fictional trajectory where there's, you know, catharsis, denouement, yada, yada. Um, it's like, well, here was life for a bit and then it stopped. Mm. Uh, yeah. which sometimes, you know, for, for this, I think made sense. There are some books that I read that don't end in any satisfactory way, and I'm like, what the fuck? But You just didn't get to the ending, buddy. <laughs> you just stopped <laughs> writing the book. <laughs> well, that's that's how I feel about Neil Stevenson books a lot of the time. Like, Snow Crash just ended. Yeah. I was like, what? What? I love Neil Stevenson, but you're not wrong. He doesn't know how to open <laughs> or close <laughs> books. He loves yeah. middle. <laughs> He's a lot of middle. And the thing is, I also love Neil Stevenson. But yeah, like, you cannot end a book. Um, but you, this one, you, like, have you, uh, have you read, uh, Seven Eves by him? I have. No. I've I have. read every book that he's put out <laughs> due to a brain ailment. I, I love and hate that book because I, the, if you haven't read it, it's about Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, <laughs> Hillary Clinton, Elon Musk, and, uh, Malaya Yousafi, um, in a space station. He's not um, kidding. They are very clear parallels to all of those people. Oh yeah. my gosh. Oh, okay. So they're not they, named that, but they're no, that. No, oh, they, they may as well be. becomes a cannibal at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good part. Yeah. See, this just uh, sounds like you're making stuff up again, and I would just that, believe you, because I don't know. Oh, no, the uh, opening <laughs> line of the book is that the moon has exploded and no one knows why. Also, they never answer it. They're just, yep. he simply, he correctly goes, that's not important. What matters is that the moon blew up. <laughs> and you're like, I'm in, baby. I'm hooked now. I gotta know how, I gotta know where this goes. Yeah, and the Seth answer is, is 10,000 years in the future. Okay. Yeah, there's um, cavemen people in the future. And, and it's... seal people. Yeah, and yeah, there's underwater people and there's underground okay. people in the future he loves underwater it's... people have y'all read the diamond age yeah that book is tight he goes to an underwater orgy yeah. that's also a prison yeah yeah <laughs> that was that's my favorite one of my favorite books of all time honestly is the diamond age and definitely I... my favorite neil stevenson book but yeah underwater people man it he must like this diamond age and uh the baroque cycle influenced my writing a lot just looking at the structure of them and some of the ideas that he played with, especially with like the, like the, the guide to whatever it was called in a uh, diamond age that was yeah. just a book young of woman's bots. primer or something. Yeah. Young, just like, a young woman's primer. I, and I like, as a kid, I, did you ever watch inspector gadget? Hell yeah. Of course. Okay. So Penny had that book mm -hmm. and my whole life I wanted to have that book. And I felt like in the diamond age, I could like read a whole novel and pretend that I had this book. It was super fucking rad. I love I, the Diamond Age. I like when people read him and they're like, he's not very good because he doesn't understand these perspectives all that well. And I'm like, well, no fucking duh. Like, you can put that together pretty quick. Like, I know what I'm here for. Like, I'm here for a book with the, the Turing stuff, man. Like, that's right? what I'm here for. Like, I'm not <laughs> reading Renfie this book discussions to get... of orbital mechanics. That's I'm not I'm... reading this book to read in a Kathy Acker novel. That's, I, I picked up the wrong author, if that's the case. Their names are nothing alike. Um, 
Sometimes I want to hear someone go, here is an event, and now here's every nerdy digression I can make off of that event that I can possibly think of. <laughs> Rope cycle encapsulated in a sentence. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's eight yeah. books and 3,000 pages long and a, a sequel to a 1,000-page book. It's a sequel that takes place 250 years in the past. Also, there's an immortal man in both of them. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Crudo, though, right? Crudo. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not very long, like uh, Neil Stevenson's books. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, like I say, I, I, I wasn't feeling it. Maybe I'm just in the wrong mood this week. Maybe I was born with the wrong genitals. That kind of <laughs> sounds like the... Most likely explanation. Maybe I'm just dumb. Could explain a hell of a lot. Well, the, here's the here's the thing too is that all books aren't written for everybody. That's um, true. And you know, if something doesn't grab you, it's like, well, it's not for me. That's fine. I I feel like you know people expect everything to be written with them in mind, and some things are not. <laughs> We also sometimes run into a parallel problem, which is that if someone doesn't like something that's very meaningful to someone else, that second person views it as like, oh, you didn't understand this because you're necessarily a misogynist or necessarily. And it's like that can be the case, but sometimes it can be that it's outside their experience enough that they don't have enough to grab onto themselves. But it's interesting because women tend to have to read every like. You know, every assigned book that we ever had to read growing up was from a male perspective, and we had to put ourselves in that perspective, or else we were told we were wrong. So, you know, we yeah. we really had to kind of like um, figure out how to read something like a separate piece or Great Expectations, or you know, all of like all of those books that we had to read. We had to figure out a way to get through it. Hmm. Um, in fairness, and a separate piece is very bad. Yeah, yeah. Don't know I, why it's a classic. It's I was yeah, I was gonna <laughs> It's not my favorite. And it's also <laughs> something that, you know, I really had a hard time relating to in any way. Um, but it's interesting because like I feel like girls and women really kind of have to figure out a way, you know, to yeah. to somehow relate to these books. Um and we're just kind of like that experience is um and it's actually kind of nice to en- encounter art where we don't have to do that, which is kind of what I'm trying to do with my label, too, is, like, actually put out stuff that, like, you don't have to put yourself in a different perspective. It you can me. listen to something as, like, a woman, a marginalized person, a queer person, and feel a better, I don't know, connection. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of the theory of art as, like, uh, as an empathy machine, and that part of the Part of the importance of it is that if you allow people to create and enact um, true sense or true embodiments of themselves and how they see and experience the world, part of the goal of it is specifically to put yourself in line with things that aren't how you would normally have seen the world. Because through this true experience, you can you can learn to feel like they feel rather than the way that, say, like a rational discussion would outline a thought but not necessarily have that inner spark, that you can look mm-hmm. at someone's art and go like, oh, this is how they feel the world. Yes. And that being a skill that women 
other marginalized people are forced to learn, um, and that we, like cishet men, sometimes forget that, like, everyone does it to an extent. You can't really turn that part yeah, of your brain. Yeah, yeah, you but, have to. But you, it, the push to develop that much further doesn't always come. Truth. Mm-hmm. Strong truth. Um, so we're going to talk about Tridroid Records and your reasons for doing it and how you're going to do it in the next half of the show. But let's uh, break it up with a little music. So I've asked you to bring uh, some Tridroid future releases. So uh, I think we're going to do High Cost first. Yes. Yes. Uh, High Cost, the first track from their uh, first release called Illusion. Cool. And yeah, tell tell us about that band because they sound cool. So... um, they are a band out of Brooklyn that has a lot of grindcore, hardcore punk, and metal influences. Um, the songs are nice and short, um, and it is just really great stuff. Similar to something like Redbait or Couch Slut um, for fans of those. And if you're not a fan of those, then just get fucked. Just go away. Yeah, go away. Right? Yeah, I don't. I don't, don't need like your money. you. Yeah. <laughs> No one. Need, I don't need your listening. That that little one I get on SoundCloud from you. If you don't like this band, I don't want it. Take it back. Call up SoundCloud in the Netherlands and say, please remove my listening from this one podcast. Um, <laughs> that's how much I dislike you. If you don't like red bait and couch sluts and probably high cost. So yeah, check it out. Here's high cost. <laughs> 